Pod class is in session. I'm your host, Elizabeth Tingle, and I'm here with Jamie Anderson. And welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and EverActive Schools. Each episode, we speak with a different leader in their field about topics that impact student and teacher well-being. Today, we're joined by Nancy Lockfassel from the Alberta Teachers Association to talk about ways that systems-level approaches and professional learning can support teacher and staff well-being. Thank you for coming, Nancy. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's truly an honor. One of the things that we like to start our conversations with is asking our guests what your go-to habits are for taking care of your own well-being. What are the strategies that have worked for you? My daily couple things are uh, walking. I love to start the day off with a walk if I can. I am blessed to have a treadmill in my basement so I can just jump out of my bed and do it uh, downstairs if it's a cold day or if the road conditions aren't favorable. But walking uh, in my life has always been a moment of calm. I used to be a a bigger runner, but walking I can do anywhere, anytime. And uh, it's one of my favorite things. And I have a really good sleep schedule. I go to bed at a very regular time. I get up at a regular time. And uh, those are two of my biggest things. And box breathing. I use it a lot. I had to use it today. Truthfully, when this tech stuff wasn't working out to set up, I was just like, take a moment do the box breathing, recenter, and it cleared my focus and I was able to connect everything well. So yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing. I am a walker as well. And I know a lot about breathing, but it's that like implementation gap for me. I always forget to use it when I'm in the middle of feeling those stressful situations. It's so great too when it's such, it's such a habit that you don't even have to think about it anymore. You just like you instinctively go to it. So that's fantastic. And you know, box breathing, I have to share, it is perfect for all ages. I have a granddaughter who's five and we taught it to her a year ago and she's learned to regulate her emotions using it. So it's it's my go-to for a lot of humans. <laughs> That's awesome. So can you share with us a little bit about your journey as an educator and what led you to your current role? Sure. I was one of those people that grew up knowing they always wanted to be a teacher. So from my early days of my life in a trailer on a farm, I was playing school and that came to fruition when I graduated from the U of A and moved and started teaching in Cochrane many years ago. And then I returned to my home school division of Elk Island Public Schools, where I taught at a variety of schools, became an assistant principal and a principal. And through all those roles, I was actually a second language teacher. German was my major and English was my minor. And I also ended up doing phys ed and psychology and all those kind of things. But I remember vividly at one point, uh, I was an assistant principal at Fort Saskatchewan Junior High School, and the ad came out for the professional development staff officer in the ATA News. And I took it to my principal and I said, I'm not ready for this yet, but I'm going to keep this because this is going to be my roadmap to figure out how I get to where I'm going. I already knew I was someone who loved learning. I was the person who finished one degree and signed up for another one. I was always doing conferences and workshops and things like that. In 2015, the ad came up again and I applied and I moved to the ATA in 2016 and I've slowly moved up in this area. So the associate coordinator in 2020 and then uh, as of March 1st, the coordinator of professional development at the ATA. I love that. I think there's so many different roles and opportunities within the field of education that when you start a teacher training program, I think we're all U of A B ed grads, right, Jamie? Correct me if I'm wrong. That's true, yeah. Go pandas. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, 
There's just so much potential for continuous learning in this field. So your career path really demonstrates that well. So thank you for sharing. Elizabeth and I have talked a lot about this in our own kind of teacher pathways. Often when you enter the profession, you feel like there's only a vertical pathway into administration in schools. And and that is absolutely one opportunity, but there are a breadth of opportunities. And I think they continue to grow as we like envision a wider scope for education in the the field of teaching, I guess. So uh, to speak to that, you do have so much experience as a teacher, as an administrator, and now you're working with the Alberta Teachers Association. So you've had the range of like close up experiences in the teaching profession as an educator, and then that broad level systems view of the teaching profession as well. So with that in mind, we're wondering if you can share a little bit about what you have learned about teacher well being in the kind of micro and macro experiences that you've had. Sure, I think my experience has spanned three decades, longer than some of our listeners have probably been alive. And I know when we start off in this role, and I've said this to many people, teachers are really good martyrs. We keep putting other people first, we know we're doing it. And it took me a long time and a lot of maturity to realize that saying, you can't serve from an empty cup is so very, very true. And I try to share that with teachers, teacher leaders, pre-service teachers as I travel the province that putting yourself first is not selfish, it's self-care. And really, you know, when you look at that epicenter of your locus of control and of your circle of concern, you are at the center. And I say, you know, there's only one person you walk through this entire life with, and it's yourself. And you have to take care of that self. And that's really important. And I I focus on three main pieces that as a teacher, but as a school or a, a school system, that are three things that we can focus on. And The first is self-care, and we've hit on some of that already, right? The basics of sleep, nutrition, and exercise. And these are things we learn early on in our childhood that we're taught, you know, food guides or, or ways to eat and sleep. But as adults, we put some of that aside and we forget about it, or we think other things are more important. But those are foundations upon which everything is built. And if we don't take good care and focus on those things, then the other pieces, you know, will fall to the wayside. Another thing is this strength-based approach. And uh, I think I might hit on it again later, but I just come from that lens, right? This self-awareness and awareness of what our strengths are and what the things that we do well. And if we focus on that in ourselves, we bring it out in other people. And that's a, a cycle of upward spiral. And the final thing is connections. And I've done a lot of thinking about this over time. And I'm very blessed to have people in my life who I wouldn't have met and wouldn't be in my life if I hadn't been a teacher. Some of these people I only worked with for two or three years, 20 some years ago. And those are the people that I'm still connected with. And I know that they helped get me through tough times at work, tough times in my personal life. And You know, when I was thinking about this the other day, I looked and I thought, is there research that supports this? And I found uh, a really new study that was called the Friendship and Happiness Study done by Wild Goose. And, you know, that piece about connections, when you think about the best places you've ever worked, that connection, having those people at work made the difference. And the research says that 57% of people say that having a friend at work makes it more enjoyable. 22% said it made them more productive, and 21% said having those friendships made them more creative. And if I look at those things, happy, productive, and creative, that's well-being. So one of the best things we can give ourselves is finding people at work that we can connect with. And if we're in places where we can't find that, then maybe we move to a place where we do have those connections. That's such a great segue into my next question. I really appreciate your thoughtfulness there and those three key things. We talk about 
on this show how well-being is not just an individual endeavor. It's both an individual and a collective responsibility. And these pieces have a reciprocal impact on one another. And to your point, the role of collegial relationships and supportive relationships, whether they're friendships or just positive collegial relationships, are so significant. And those cultures, those staff cultures, are really important to our well-being. So on that note, what suggestions do you have around how individual teachers contribute to that culture of well-being in the school space? And where does that reciprocity come in? From your own experience, how does that culture of support or how has that culture of support influenced your own individual well-being? Once again, I think it's a foundational piece, how we talk and interact with one another, the words we use and the way we use them. And I often talk about different things I've learned over time. And within the last couple of years, I learned the STOP acronym that helps me in times of being triggered. I mean, we never have to worry about the people we're having conversations with that make us laugh so hard or that fill our hearts with joy. It's the people that we have a tough time with that we have to work with, right? Or that trigger anxiety, anger, fear. And in those triggered moments, I sometimes didn't have my best self. And learning the STOP acronym really helped me with that. So it's STOP, take a breath, observe, and proceed with a way that aligns with your values. And over time, one of the best phrases I learned and, and the lens through which I, I try to live is one, you know, would I say that exact same thing to my supervisor? And if I was a principal, this would be, you know, kids would come to me, teachers would come to me and I'd say, well, you said that. Would you say that same thing to me? And they'd often, oh, no, no, I, I wouldn't say that to you. But but why not? And, you know, once again, I used this recently with my granddaughter. She was talking to me and she maybe gave me a little sass. And I said, would you talk to Miss Yurik that way? Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Right. <laughs> but if we think about the way we're talking to our colleagues, would we talk to our principal that same way? Would we talk to our superintendent that same way? And if the answer is no, then maybe we have to change our tone, our words, etc. And then the other piece that goes behind this, don't say anything behind someone's back, you wouldn't say to their face. So that's the other filter, right? If we're saying these things, like how are we being kind? Because that basic kindness, respect goes a long way. And the places where I've worked that have been school families, and I've been blessed to bookend my career with two schools that were totally school families, we had that reciprocity. We had that care and concern, that respect for one another. And even in a family, we know sometimes we've got to say, hey, this isn't working, but there's ways to say that in a respectful way. When it comes to the larger organization, this community piece is in all the different roles in the building. Is there this sense that we are in something together? This we, not me. And we have basic needs. We want to feel seen and heard. And, um, you know, I'll tell, once again, a lot of teachers, the first person's name you've got to learn in every school is your custodial staff. And I have examples of people who, we called them the house mother or the person, they, they weren't someone that just did certain tasks. They were part of our family. And how do you include everybody in your school in that way so that they felt seen and heard? Because with that then comes a sense of pride, a sense of connection. And, in that same thing, when we're not well and someone's away, coming back, the three nicest words, I missed you, uh, and how that feels. That's so insightful. I think the reminder of when you talk about family, like, yes, we are employees. And also, we're in this work together. And sometimes there's the instinct to fall into competition. Because like, as university students, we were in a learning environment that was very competitive and entering the profession, job applications are very competitive. And we forget that that's not a space for competition, but the strengths based 
family approach is centering the human care and centering investing in relationships first and foremost, because when we have that support, we can fulfill our duties better. Also saying that like, it can be difficult and messy and conflict isn't bad. If it's in good faith, then it's really relationship centered. Conflict can be really good and generative. And those pinch points and those boundaries are really important in moving forward in a good way, instead of just like staying stuck in that. Many spaces, mine included, right? Like you talk about those competitions that happen. There might be times in a school that two of you may apply for the same leadership role. And one of you gets it and one of you doesn't. Or someone outside the school comes in and gets it. But it's about sitting with that, understanding it, but then having those conversations, but then moving forward, right? This other piece some of you have heard me talk about, right, is not why is this happening to me, but why is this happening for me? What other things are coming my way? How can I be supportive of this person? That's the whole piece. I think it's, we sometimes have to, you know, use that 24 or 48 hour rule before we react to something or have the conversation. But I think not letting things fester, saying, okay, let's let's put this on the table. Let's talk about it so we can move forward together. Yeah. And I also appreciate how you're drawing attention to how culture has built a conversation and exchange at a time. And so paying attention to our language, our tone, those choices are significant and they add up. And I think that is empowering. I know Jamie and I have talked about this, that we've been in school climates where there is this esprit de corps, where there's this loyalty and respect amongst the people in that building and this expectation that we don't talk negatively about each other behind their backs. And it creates this real safety to be creative and innovate and try new things and maybe have challenging conversations when you have that foundation. So I think that's so key. And that piece too, that we make mistakes. Mm -hmm. We might not come as our best self sometimes on a day, in a conversation, in a moment, having that humility to say, hey, you know what? I thought about what happened and can we revisit that? And being humble to come forward and ask for that, but also giving that forgiveness and allowing other people to realize that we're constantly evolving and growing. And that forgiveness is another huge piece, right? That if we model it with each other, we're also modeling all these behaviors for the littles that are watching, whether they're five or 15, how are they seeing us interact? And that social emotional learning piece is all the time. Yes, this is highly relational work and it's messy. But yeah, I love that learning from our mistakes and being willing to go back and revisit. So people have different ideas and perspectives on unions or are just maybe unfamiliar with them. For instance, teaching was my first unionized job. Can you speak a little bit about what the Alberta Teachers Association does at a systems level to support teachers? I think some people are unfamiliar with that. Yeah, and I'm just going to clarify, right? We're actually more than a union. We are an association and the Teaching Profession Act outlines four key aspects of what we do. And it's to advance and promote the cause of education in Alberta, to improve the teaching profession, to arouse public interest in the importance of education and public knowledge of the aims of education, and to cooperate with other organizations and bodies in Canada and elsewhere. And if you think of those four main objects, it's so much more than just teaching. We are stewards for public education. I mean, all of us wouldn't be sitting here today if it weren't for students. This is what makes us teachers is students. And this is about, you know, society in general. But we also do have those other features. We do. One of our objects is to improve the teaching profession, but to work for and protect the teachers in the teaching profession. And we do some of those union functions, right? So we do collective bargaining. We create and help locals work with their school boards to come up with collective agreements that are 
meeting the needs and well-being of teachers is first and foremost in so many of these conversations. But the teacher employment side, the services and all those supports we give around leaves, around uh, maybe people need time for different things. And at this moment, I want to tell all the teachers listening, right? If you need time for your own well-being, you call it a sick leave. You don't call it a broken leg leave or a diabetes leave. So why would you call it a stress leave? It is a sick leave or a medical leave. That's how you have to look at these pieces. But of course, then the association as well, we support them with their professional growth, right? So we do a lot on professional growth, development, learning, all the workshops, the resources. Our library is one of the best kept secrets, right? All the things that we have here that once you leave your universities, you can get uh, some of those books and resources here, but all the things to use in your maker spaces uh, to make your bulletin boards. We have crickets. And then our specialist councils, all the conferences, there's just so many ways that the ATA is here and we are here for teachers. And my dad always said, you know, you're never further behind by asking. So ask. If you're not sure if we do something or we can support that, ask. And we'll give you an answer of some kind. I really like how you've painted that broader picture of what the Alberta Teachers Association is invested in. And I do think there is that misconception that it's teacher first. But I like how you've reminded us that this is about students, about public education, because the research shows us that when teacher well-being is prioritized, that student well-being and learning is improved as well, that they are all connected. And so that's why we need this broader focus and support. Can I jump in with a quick story? Because I actually, I mean, I've been out of the classroom for a few years now. But when I was working in my last position with a school jurisdiction in Alberta, I was very involved in the local ATA. And some of my most impactful teaching experiences came from being involved with the Diversity, Equity, Human Rights Committee and having kind of a say at the provincial ATA level. And then also supporting, and I probably don't have the acronyms right anymore because I'm sure they've changed, but teacher well-being committees. And and I actually was part of our negotiating subcommittee and had a different opportunity to connect with my school jurisdiction and have voice in a different way. And I had no idea that those opportunities, those learning pathways or channels for communication within my jurisdiction and channels for decision-making were within my jurisdiction. And that became like a core part of my identity as a teacher for the, you know, five plus years that I was in that particular jurisdiction. So I think that there are so many cool opportunities that you're not as aware of when you're in the space of undergraduate learning. But yeah, there are so many pathways for you in support of the profession through the ATA at the local level and at the provincial level as well. And I think that we often tell teachers, you know, put your well-being, make sure you give yourself time. But I really am grateful, JB, that you talked about how being involved in some of those roles added to your own well-being, feeling like we have the potential to make change, feeling empowered to have conversations, to sit at tables that we didn't know we could be a part of add to our well-being and that growth, that pride, that understanding of things translates into our personal life, our professional life. And once again, models things for our students, right? Volunteerism, which so many of these roles in the association are based on. And we're very grateful for all the volunteers, but volunteerism is something that adds to your life in different ways. And when I talk to people about resumes and cover letters, as a reviewer of them, I give extra attention to and um, it's subjectively volunteerism sits very high on my list of things that I value in people because you know if you want something done ask someone who's already busy first of all Mm -hmm. but also there's this piece of volunteerism that says I'm a part of a bigger society and I know that 
to contribute to that association, society, local, whichever, is contributing to a better world and a better place. So I thank you for your volunteer time. Well, thanks, Nancy. And it was so empowering. So I do encourage folks, you have that chance to have your voice heard, which, you know, teaching can be a very stressful job at times, I think. And there's collegiality, there's a network of support and time permitting based on your own sense of your well being, it's a good opportunity to invest in that part of yourself. Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned a few of the resources that the ATA can extend, like the library, what other ATA supports and advocacy do you wish that teachers knew more about? Well, I'll share the broader talking about being a part of a society, right? The Alberta Teachers Association is part of something called the Canadian Teachers Federation. And we work with other teacher organizations across Canada, but internationally to share best practices, to share learnings, to look at things like how are we working within the calls to action of truth and reconciliation? How are we working with other people in other places to help them have good learning experiences, to have them have safe places to learn? But, and I feel like I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I'll I'll go back. We are a place to call. Don't be afraid to call. Call to ask those questions. Call to ask for support. Sometimes I know a teacher might not be sure if it's a big enough thing to ask, but there is nothing If it's important to you, it's important to us. I would encourage that. But then the specialist councils. The specialist councils is the area where the curricular focuses, the areas of interest, those kind of places that teachers can play a role. And that was actually my gateway to the ATA through the Alberta German Teachers Association. And you meet people that are like-minded. You meet people that are teaching the same things, that are wondering the same things, that have the same passion areas. I look at our work with the Health and Physical Education Council, right? And I mean, you meet other people that you can learn from that you can teach, but they can be great resources. It's one thing when you're in these larger school divisions that have consultants and resources, but I was working in a small community at the time. I was the only German teacher in my school, obviously, the only German teacher in my division for 100 kilometers, right? So having these other people that I could connect with and learn from uh, was really valuable. So in our pre-service teachers, they all get free membership in as many specialist councils as they want. So it's a really great way to try some of these places out to see what the ATA is about, but to see what other teachers in other places are doing. And I have a saying obvious to you, amazing to others. It's this idea, right, that sometimes what you think you're doing is just so mundane, so obvious. And then you share it with someone else and they're like, I've never thought of that. So join some of these places and learn from others, but share your learnings too. We will share links to that in the show notes as well, so that if pre-service teachers haven't seen those or in-service teachers, that they can know where to learn more. Mm-hmm. And tying into what you said earlier, that connections have so much to do with our well-being in the workplace. It's just one more way to make those connections with colleagues. Mm-hmm. So in your role, have you seen systems level changes that have improved school and teachers well-being? I'm wondering if you can talk about an innovation or an approach that really made a difference. Uh, I will. Probably almost 10 years ago, I was introduced to StrengthsFinder. It's this idea and it goes back to this strength-based approach, right? So you do a survey and you find out which of these 34 straights are your best. Our school division supported it for some of our schools and for our school leaders. And I remember vividly how it changed my perspective on some of the people I worked with because, you know, there was, uh, I'm going to use his name. He knows I tell this story. Uh, There was Ted. Ted was the guy that we'd have this staff meeting for an hour and a half and Ted would say nothing. And then after the staff meeting or the next day, Ted would come and ask me 15 questions. And I'd be like, oh, Ted, like, why? 
Well, once I learned about Ted's strengths, right, I understood that Ted processes differently because my way of doing, if you haven't figured it out, is to talk. Mm -hmm. But that's not Ted's. Ted needs to take it. He needs to roll it around and he needs to think on it. And then he can ask the questions. So in our staff, we use that strength finders and it allowed us to understand one another differently, but from a strength-based approach. So then I even did it with my grade six classroom. They have a kid version. And I remember, I'm going to make up a name, Nicholas. You know, I remember Nicholas was a student that sometimes had interrelational issues. But when he knew his strengths, he could explain some of his behaviors. Well, this is why, because, you know, I'm a strategic thinker. So this is why I'm asking all these questions. And even more recently, we've been doing this with some of our staff here at the ATA. Because if we understand each other from a strengths-based perspective, and we look at each other and say, oh, you do that because you're an includer. Thank you very much. It has really been something that has improved relations amongst staff. It has improved acceptance, understanding, conversations. We have these conversations now. So you can do a strength-based approach in a variety of ways. But ask people what their strengths are. Share them in a way that helps understanding. Work them into some of those monthly meetings, activities, etc. And I have found that in every case, when it's been introduced to me or I've introduced it somewhere, it's had positive results and increased understanding and connectedness. That's powerful and really is supported by the literature on positive psychology that taking that strength-based approach can be really impactful. There's also, I don't know if you've heard of this one, the VIA character. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a free one that you can do with students and- Quick and easy. Yeah. They always are just kind of intrigued by it, I think, when you introduce them to this different way of looking at themselves. So it's a great example. I think one of the things that we were talking about, again, unique to your role with the Alberta Teachers Association and having been a classroom teacher and administrator is having that scope and depth and breadth of understanding around the barriers in challenges that exist and prevent access to well-being for many teachers. The first thing that comes to mind, I think, is classroom sizes, because this has been a strong point of advocacy of the association for as long as I've been an educator, 10 years and probably far longer. Uh, so I'm curious if you could highlight some of those maybe system level barriers that challenge well-being amongst the teaching profession. Yeah, I've got a couple off the top of my head, but the class size is probably one of the biggest, most profound and most impactful. Currently, we have a brand new commercial that the ATA has put out that highlights this, right? You see this teacher and all the little name hooks on the wall and the kids all arrive to school and they're all hanging up their jackets. And eventually there's not enough hooks. So the teacher's collecting the jackets and then the hooks fall off the wall and the teacher's got this pile of coats and then she's walking away and more kids are still coming. I love this new commercial, but I think it really exemplifies. We don't have physical space. We don't have the basic things. We don't have enough coat hooks. We don't have enough desks. We, you know, don't have enough places to put all their things. So you think of that physical space isn't ready for the humans that are there. How do we get them emotionally ready, right? Knowing add complexity, knowing that some students need an extra bubble around them. Some students need a little bit more quiet. Some students need less light or more light. And all these pieces that can be barriers for us. And then you add that emotional piece. I would say a lot of people that come into teaching are in teaching because they're caring humans. And I know, and I was just talking to someone else the other day about how as teachers, we look at the students that need us more. 
And then we feel this extra burden that we can't give them more. My largest class was 38 grade 11 students once. And it was a German class, right? We're learning how to speak. And I thought, if I spoke to every student every day, I would barely have time to do anything else. Just one minute of conversation. And I think that becomes a burden to teachers' well-being because they walk away at the end of the day and they carry a little bit of guilt with them, right? Did I do enough? Did I get to that student? How did I provide enough instruction time? How did I help when they know they physically are doing everything they can, but there's so many of these other things that are holding them back and they want to give more, right? So it's this ongoing burden. 38, that stands out to me. I can't even visualize that. And I think probably for our listeners who have experience in the classroom, like that probably resonates as just not having enough space. I mean, when I was teaching junior high, there was an ongoing joke about always tripping in front of my students. And and it was funny because that was I was like, I'm the the clumsy teacher and also was like a direct result of just like physical space and how we understand all of those different factors that affect the classroom that we have that our kids show up to. And I think that's a really helpful reminder to teachers that yes, our well-being is impacted by the systems and structures that we are a part of. And it's not a personal failing. We're not personally responsible for not being able to do enough for all of those little kiddos that we care about so much that there's more in the way of advocacy to address those structures and the ways that the system sets us up for challenges and and to not always be successful for our students, especially those students who are the most vulnerable and require that additional support from us. And I think, uh, you know, there's the starfish story. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the starfish story, right? Oh, Elizabeth's not. I'll try and summarize it. But it's this idea, right, that we make a difference. And the starfish to me has come to symbolize this, that at the end of those days, when I was questioning what I had done, I instead turned that around and I thought, okay, whose lives did I make better today? Whose lives did I make a difference in? And the story, Elizabeth, is that there's this man on the beach and uh, all the starfish, the tide has gone out. So there's all these starfish in the sand that need to get back in the water. And so he's picking them up and throwing these starfish back into the water. And another person comes along and says, what are you doing? And he tells them, you know, I'm throwing these starfish back. And he's like, look at this beach. There are hundreds of starfish here. Do you really think you're going to make a difference? And he picks the starfish up and he gently puts it back in the water. And he said, I made a difference to that one. Mm-hmm. And, and then this is the idea, right? That as we go through our days, we might look and see hundreds of little starfish that we're worried about. But if we take the ones we can and make a difference as we can, we know that that will lead to other good things. Sometimes that's with one foot in front of the other idea, right? One at a time, make a difference where you can. Yeah, what's under our control? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And to know the ATA is in that space of advocacy on a systems level. I think that's also like gives you confidence to be able to do what you can do within your own circle of control. So switching gears back to that individual sense of well-being, you're the associate coordinator in the ATA's professional development program area. And given your perspective and experience, we just want to ask what may be a very basic question, but is not often addressed. And that is like, what is the reason for professional development? What's the role of professional learning? At the core, right? It's obviously to improve our knowledge and skills on things, right? But it's this bigger piece, right? It's about shifting attitudes and behaviors and relationships. And I think of some of the work you did with the diversity, equity, and human rights groups, Jamie, and I know the learning I have done and continue to do in the work around diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, 
you know, even I can be in a session about physical education and wellness, but I hear something said and I think, oh, why did they say that that way? It's shifting my attitude, my perspective. It could be a term they use differently. So professional learning is sometimes what we go for, the intent of the learning, but it's sometimes that other stuff that we learn while we're there. But it's this idea that we're constantly growing in our understanding of who we are as teachers, who we are as humans, who we are in this greater society. And once again, interactions, connections, relationships with others, and how can we constantly improve and you know, as a teacher, you'll hear everybody at some point, some parent will come. Well, when I was in school, every person has a story about being a student. But we know, thank goodness, they don't still teach the way they did when I was a student. And in that same way, many teachers will have careers that will span decades. And, you know, we can't still, look, I'm going to date myself by saying this, we can't still go to that filing cabinet and open that filing cabinet drawer, pull out that file and teach the way we did when we started. That's the thing about professional learning, right? Continuing to grow, shift perspectives, ways of doing, ways of knowing, ways of learning so that we can keep ourselves excited, but make the learning exciting for those we share it with. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, those filing cabinets probably still exist, but I think they're also <laughs> gathering more dust Yeah, uh, and maybe are, are used a little bit less often, which is great. And I think that professional learning piece as a driver really stuck out to me and what you just said, like thinking about how it drives us to do and grow and reminds us we're lifelong learners, like we're adult learners, we might learn in different ways than we did growing up. And we have access in different ways than we did growing up, but we're continually learners, which is important. I think learning once you're in the profession feels very different than learning before the profession. You're so motivated by those students and those real life concerns that it just takes on this different resonance. It feels really different. Um, at least it did to me. And I think it's that application piece. If I may, I remember doing my Bachelor of Education with a focus on second language instruction. And then several years later, I went back to do a Master's of Education in second language instruction. So I would teach all day and then I would learn in the evening, right? Or on Saturdays. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, they never taught me this before. It's that awareness piece, right? You don't know what you don't know until you need to know it. But it's also that idea that it's like when you drive a red car, you notice other red cars. <laughs> yeah. When you're teaching, your awareness has changed as to, oh, this is what I need or this is what's lacking. So that piece, right? Like I encourage students to, you know, just because you finish your degree, don't stop taking formal education because how you learn and the conversations that will happen in those classrooms will be so different as you sit with other people that are living the education experience. Yes. And there are so many districts that have policies or programs to support that continuing formal education if you want to take a master's or deepen your experience. So such good advice. Kind of along that theme, what do you think is the relationship between professional learning and teacher well-being? How does learning more about our practice and how to improve it actually help us in terms of our well-being? Well, and I'm not sure if you've talked about this in your other podcast, the eight dimensions of well-being, right? People often focus on, you know, the physical or the emotional. But if we look at the intellectual and occupational dimensions of well-being, I think both of those are covered through professional learning. And if we think of professional learning as transformative instead of transactional. And I'll recommend a really good book my staff is reading right now called The PD Book by Angular. And it talks about this. If the learning you're doing is transformative, right? It's not this one and done. It's not a sit and get. 
and pardon the PD cliches, but those are some phrases we use here. But if you're learning in a way that is deeper, is tied to society, and it's challenging you, your intellectual well-being is going to change, right? If you leave and you're driving home or you're sitting and letting it percolate afterwards and it's bugging you, that means it's good, right? If it's hard, you're probably growing or if it's challenging your ways of thinking. But occupationally, that occupational well-being is one of them. And yeah, we talked about having our friends at work and those other things. But how are we invested in improving some of the occupational skills we have, but also those transferable skills? Early in the podcast, Jamie, you talked about how you were a teacher, but you didn't know all the different ways that role could take you in your career life. And I look at where you are now. That's probably something you didn't even know existed when you started. But I look at all the teachers that I work with and teachers in society are such a desirable employee because of the transferable skills they have. So this connection between, you know, you're learning something, but you're growing as a human, you're growing as someone that can maybe work in a different role, in a different job, in a different way. So the intellectual and occupational well-being really grows through good transformative professional learning. Yeah, I think it can be really energizing when it does get to that transformative level. So what advice would you give for teachers to make their professional development and learning opportunities more meaningful and engaging? How can we get to that level of the learning that is really going to support and energize us? What's under our control, at least? Well, and that's exercise, voice, and choice, right? We have two phrases we use here. There's professional learning and there's in-servicing. So the in-servicing is when your school division says, we're going to start using Brightspace and you need to learn how to do that, that is not professional learning. That is in-servicing. You're being taught a task. You're being taught a role. Professional learning is those ones that connect ideally to your professional growth plan. These are things you're curious about and you're able to exercise your own voice and choice. And I did a lot of professional learning locally, right? I'd, I'd find different things. But then once again, talk about the opportunities the ATA offers. There are so many ways that you can access funds Mm -hmm. to do professional learning outside of the province. And if I may, can I talk about some of the ways they can access funds when they become a teacher? Yes, people will be mad at us if we don't let you talk about that. Please do. (laughs) First of all, at your local level, right? So every local in the province has PD funds that they can access. And every local has different structures as to how you can access them, whether they're annually, whether they're biannually, what you can use them for. At the ATA level, we have the ATA Educational Trust Fund and several scholarships. So the ATA Educational Trust Fund has three that are basically a lottery. So the first is the Specialist Council Grant. It's a $500 grant for you to attend a Specialist Council Conference. And the second is called the BT Keeler Scholarship. It's $700 that you can use to pay for a post-secondary course. And the third is the Educational Bursaries Grants, and they're used for any PD that you want to access in the province. Those are $600. We have a certain amount of money that we can hand out every year, and this is all from donations, gratefully accepted from various donors that have put money towards educational trust. But let's say in one year we have 60 grants to give away and there are 59 applicants, everybody wins, right? If there's 61, sadly one doesn't. And you can apply for those every three years. And then we have some larger scholarships. The uh, Morjex John Masaryk Scholarship is $2,500 for post-secondary study in business or technology. We have the Nadine Thomas is a master's scholarship of $5,000 
for someone whose research is focused on well-being and teacher wellness. So this fits the podcast perfectly. And the final one is our doctoral scholarship of $15,000 that is awarded once a year to a doctoral student in the province of Alberta who is doing research and study. So I personally have accessed many of these things. But like you said, I think earlier, Elizabeth, there's some school divisions that offer special funding. So I know I was in a school division that offered special funding for people that wanted to take their school counseling courses because those are in need, especially with student well-being and and teacher well-being. So there is all kinds of ways that you can support that growth and professional learning and allow yourself to maybe go a little further, to speak to some other people, to see other perspectives that you might not have. If you only stayed in your division and did their PD days, their teacher conferences, they're great. But go a little further afield and see what people are saying in other parts of the province or, or the country. Thank you for sharing that. And we will link to those. Those are all great strategies to take our professional learning to the next level. Absolutely. And funds are so crucial to that. So being able to direct folks to, to that is helpful. And that's also something, Nancy, correct me if I'm wrong, like that PD funding is part of collective bargaining too, like at your local level. So you can think about advocacy and, and increasing professional learning as an avenue as well through the ATA. And that's a simple thing. Read your collective agreement, right? Talk about well-being. There are so many things in a teacher's collective agreement. They get contracts and collective agreements confused. Contracts is what you sign with your employer. Collective agreement is all these things, but it, it talks about your personal leave days, your sabbaticals. I have been a beneficiary of a sabbatical, both in a school division and at the ATA, where my employer said, we value you getting more education. We will give you some time off and some funds to do that. So all these things that are in your collective agreement, your PD funds, all those things, read your collective agreement and ask questions about those to make sure you're accessing all the things that's available to you, health, wellness, spending accounts, all those kind of pieces that people forget sometimes that that wellness spending account can also pay for conferences and university courses, right? People often just think it's about buying a treadmill or getting a gym membership, but professional development is covered under your wellness spending account. That's a fantastic reminder. And probably already answers the question I'm going to ask next, but I'll ask it nonetheless. Uh, You've offered some fantastic advice to our listeners, but what advice would you give new teachers who are entering the profession, whether that's in the space of well-being, the ATA, both of those pieces, what would your advice be? Uh, I think this is advice for anyone at all ages and stages is never stop being curious. Those of us that have little ones in our lives know that When you're three and four and five, you're always asking why or how come or how can I or why can't I? And we get as adults, that filter of those curious questions gets heavier and stronger, whichever way you want to describe it. And we apologize sometimes. like, Oh, sorry for asking, but, but no, you know, just come with that curious lens at whatever you're approaching, whether it's your well-being, whether it's taking a new course, whether it's pursuing a role whether it's getting involved in volunteerism, whether it's maybe making changes or making suggestions. Never stop being curious. And I'm always adding new sentences and phrases to my toolkit. And my newest ad is help me understand. Because whether it's help me understand why you got angry, help me understand why we do this this way, help me understand how I can do this, help me understand. It's a really nice way of asking the question, from a reflective place, and it allows the receiver of that question to phrase their answer and frame their answer in a way that's helpful. 
that's such a fantastic paradigm, curiosity as a paradigm, even in those relationship pieces, thinking back to your own acronym of stop, like slowing down, stopping those assumptions that we might come to or slowing down and avoiding the first emotional response. But curiosity is a lifelong paradigm that we can subscribe to. So that kind of brings us to the final question of our conversation. And I don't want to stop this conversation. I could (laughs) chat with you both for a very long time. But to leave our listeners with a helpful kind of nugget to carry with them into their work, what is one thing that a teacher could do tomorrow to make change with respect to either their own individual well-being or the well-being of their broader school community that they belong to? What could a teacher do tomorrow to change with respect to their individual well-being, treat yourself as good as you treat your cell phone. <laughs> so many of you, if I asked you right now, if I said, how many of you wait till the weekend to charge your cell phone? Some of you would roll Look, Elizabeth rolled her eyes. You can't see that. But she's like, what? How many of you, you know, wait to the end of the day to charge your cell phone? Some of you have to charge your cell phone during the day. But we tell ourselves all the time, right? I'm going to wait till the weekend to recharge right? Treat yourself as well as you treat your phone. Close your door sometimes during the day and put your head down and breathe or phone that person who's your happy person. Or as Meredith Gray would say, dance it out, right? (laughs) Recharge yourself during the day and recharge yourself every day. Don't wait for the weekend because one of the biggest thing teachers do is we wait until our battery's empty to recharge, but we never let our phone get all the way empty, right? When it gets down to 5%, we're plugging it in. If we're not plugging it in before, treat yourself as kindly as you treat your cell phone. There's my bit of advice for you today. You're speaking my language. That is going to stick with me for sure. And I'm sure that that is going to stay with other folks too. That's incredibly insightful. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Even like plugging in my phone, I'm going to think, how did I recharge myself today now? But it's true, right? We never let our phones get all the way dead because we're worried because we think we need it. Mm -hmm. But we let ourselves get absolutely depleted. And, you know, we need ourselves, right? Back to that thing. We're the center of our universe, ourselves. We are. And we get to be. And it's not selfish. It's self-care. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Nancy. You've shared so many great ideas and really informed us about the broad role that the ATA does do on behalf of teachers and students in the province. We really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much for having me and allowing me this opportunity to chat with both of you. And it was really an honor. And I hope that we continue to cross paths and that some of our listeners out there, if you see me out in the boat, stop by and say hi. Thank you so much, Nancy. I learn something from you every time we chat. So I hope that our listeners have more opportunities to hear from you and learn from you as well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another conversation on school health, a series collaboration between the Workland School of Education and Everactive Schools. Special thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at Everactive Schools, or visit our website at everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the pod class is dismissed.